Hey guys, Press Gallery host Emma Graney here. I'm back. Hooray. I'm super jet lagged. Less hooray. I apologize for my shenanigans in the following podcast. Uh, but just another quick reminder to subscribe. Um, also, give us a rating if you would be so kind uh, on iTunes or wherever you listen to us here at the Press Gallery. And of course, with any comments or questions or concerns, shoot me an email egraney at postmedia.com or I'm exceptionally easy to find on Twitter at Emma L. Graney. Enjoy this week's episode, despite my brain being very dumb. Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. I'm your host, Emma Graney, back after a few weeks not here. It is Friday, September 14, 2018, and this is the Cancelling Conversion Therapy episode. With me today, my legislative reporter colleague, Claire Clancy. How are you, mate? I'm great. That was such a vague introduction to where you were the last few weeks. Yeah, it was vague. I like to just remain a mystery. <laughs> yeah, that's a woman always of a good mystery. call. Yeah, yeah, kind of my James Bond type thing. That's exactly was what I was thinking. Was he a man of mystery? Is that what he was? He was a man of mystery. Yeah. An international one at that. Mm. Keith Gerard, our health reporter. How are you, mate? I'm doing very well. Excellent. And Dave Breckenridge, what's yes. happening? Uh, <laughs> yes, I am here. We are here. That's what's happening. We're <laughs> ready to get back down to business now that you're Nailed back in it. the chair. Yeah, we did have August off, although I believe there were a couple of emergency episodes. I wasn't here. I wasn't paying attention, guys. It was about TMX. <laughs> I was watching uh, the leadership spill in Australia, actually. We just replaced the prime minister again. As we all want to do. <laughs> yeah, it seems to be uh, going on a lot there. It does happen a lot. And I was watching this happen live on Sky News and I was calling out stuff to my parents who were in the kitchen, you know, doing some washing up. I'm like, oh, Malcolm Turnbull's out. He's out. He's out. You don't have a prime minister. And they're like, that's nice, dear. <laughs> and then <laughs> Julie Bishop's out in the first vote. She's out in the first vote. Okay, Emma. They really didn't care because this happened so much in Australia that everyone's just become completely like, eh, about it. It's almost a shame that doesn't happen in Canada, where caucus will just just oust turf somebody. a prime minister or a premier, <laughs> and then they'll bring in someone else. It is quite dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, we're not going to talk about that, because it's irrelevant to Alberta. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what we're going to talk about is an upcoming bill in the fall that is going to ban so-called conversion therapy in Alberta. Uh, we are also going to talk about the Grand Prairie Hospital debacle. And finally, a long-awaited movement on the university tuition file. It's a long time coming, let me tell you. You just picked three topics that had nothing to do with pipelines for your first episode back because you wanted to get away from those. I don't know what you're talking about. What? I would never. I would never, Breck. I don't know. Nothing happened on the pipeline file. Let's move along. Um, <laughs> let's Actually, let's start off with the conversion therapy. So basically this week there was news that um, a backbencher NDP MLA would bring in a private member's bill to ban conversion therapy. So this is, uh, it used to be called gay conversion therapy where you would use uh, psychological, I'm putting that in in air quotes, and uh, spiritual interversion, interversion, no, intervention, intervention, thank you Keith. Uh, to, I'm still jet lagged, everyone. Full <laughs> full disclosure. Um, basically, to change someone's sexual orientation or gender preference, or to change somebody from being to make them not gay. To make them not gay, right? <laughs> to change them in some way. Um, it's a largely underground practice, uh, mostly in kind of faith based communities, and 
the NDP backbencher turned out to be Nicole Goring, I found out this week. So I had a chat with her about what she's doing and why she's doing it. And basically, yeah, it's going to be a bill likely done through health uh, that will ban conversion therapy. She's going to be in conversations with health minister Sarah Hoffman. Sometime soon, I get the impression this is going to be fairly early on in the session, but I didn't get an exact timeline. So, um, Keith, are you surprised with this bill? Well, no. Um, I, I think we've known for some time that the NDP was probably looking for some bills like this to, shall we say, uh, you know, and, and gay conversion therapy. Conversion therapy is, is not a good thing. Let's start with that. But um, it was earlier last year, I think, when this came up that uh, there was some talk that maybe this wasn't a, a major problem in Alberta. We've never heard that the NDP was really concerned about this. So for them to introduce it now... Uh, I think they were looking for some bills that, shall we say, maybe had a bit of a political side to them that maybe uh, would trap, say, the UCP, get what? them to... Yes. <laughs> you have little faith. Well, after the success or what the NDP sees as success of the, the bill uh, last session uh, to uh, create buffer zones uh, around abortion clinics and uh, Jason Kenney and his party's decision to not even debate that, to just walk out of the legislature when, when that bill came up. NDP saw that as a great success and thought, hey, maybe we can find some more of these that uh, will make the UCP look uh, uh, racist or bigoted or, or discriminatory in some way. So uh, it does not surprise me uh, that this is on the agenda. We may see even more. Uh, going forward. That's what I was going to say, too. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw another bill related to reproductive rights or something similar. Um, because, yeah, I think Bill 9 was so interesting to watch last session. And obviously, the NDP felt like that went well for them in terms of showing kind of their values in opposition to the UCP. Now, the UCP hasn't issued a statement about this private member's bill yet? No. Do they plan on doing so before the session or will it be a big question. surprise for us? I think, I mean, given the nature of private members' bill and given the nature of when you ask UCP about a bill and they don't really want to talk about it, I assume what it will be was, you know what, we haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we can't we can't possibly comment until we do. And Emma, were there like rumblings of this bill like 18 months ago? Yes, there were, <laughs> Clancy. And Keith, you kind of uh, made an allusion to this. So yeah, about 18 months ago, back when Wild Rose was still the official opposition, actually closer to 14 months ago, I got word that this was going to be a bill that the government was considering was um, banning conversion therapy. So I asked a bunch of questions back then. I was talking to education and I was talking to health and I was saying, hey, I'm hearing that you guys are thinking about doing a banning conversion therapy bill and they went no this fall and they went no 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 that's not no we haven't had complaints about it um and also it's not something that doctors can bill so how could we possibly outlaw it uh to which keith you made a good point doctors can't bill menthol cigarettes either and yet we've managed to ban those right yeah so i asked a bunch of questions yeah 14 18 months ago and the answer was a big fat no not something we're looking at so it's interesting that... Um, so what has changed exactly. other, other than the Bill 9 debacle at the UCP? And, uh, you know, it, the MLA behind this, she said that um, it was the Bill 24 debate, the GSA bill that made her yes. decide to bring it forward. So what about that? So Nicole Goering, she's from Edmonton, Castle Down. She's the MLA bringing it in. She told me that um, during her dis- her consultations on Bill 24, which was the GSA bill, the Gay Straight Alliance bill in schools, um, which basically in part made it illegal for a teacher to inform a parent if their kid joins a GSA at school. She said during those 
consultations and also during her consultations on PTSD Awareness Day. And she was the MLA who proposed that and got that in Alberta as well. Um, She said she heard concerns about conversion therapy in both of those sets of consultations and they would have come after I last asked the question. A cynic might say that this was planned all along. (laughs) I do think what's interesting about conversion therapy is I didn't know it was still around as a potential thing in Alberta, but I have met a couple of people um, through friends who kind of in their early 20s were put through uh, conversion therapy. What was their take? I mean, it was very traumatic for um, for them. So I think it's not... Uh, and it, and now they're openly gay living in Edmonton. Um, so it didn't work. So, no, I mean, as, as it's been proven, it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this seems like something that would be a, a no-brainer, kind of like even more so than the bubble zones bill. As Derek Fildebrandt proved during that debate on Bill 9, you can take an opinion that's in opposition to the government and debate elements of the legislation. He thought that the zone was too big. He wanted to make amendments. Like There were areas of debate there. This one seems like it should be a little more cut and dry. It, it, it seems that way. Yeah. And I also, I wanted to say too about conversion therapy because it's so, um, I think there's a spectrum with what people think it might be. Like it can include things like um, very intense, like faith-based study and those types of Pray things. Pray the gay but, away. Right? Yeah, but yeah. then there's also conversion therapies and I don't know if this exists in Alberta or people use this, but um, like, you know, there have been conversion therapies where they use like electric electroshock therapy and yeah. that can be really um that can cause a lot of obviously long-term health problems yeah i had an email from a guy in the uk who wrote a book about his experiences who i guess a relative in canada sent him my article and he emailed me and said thank you for writing this because this is a thing that happened it happened to me and i suffered horrible depression and you know drug and alcohol abuse as a result and horrible ptsd right well it's going to be interesting to see whether Jason Kenney and his caucus take the bait, so to speak. Uh, Last time they didn't debate it at all. They just walked out. But I I think in this one, there are actually some things worth debating. And you brought some of them up. What actually constitutes conversion therapy? Uh, Can you advertise it? If it's just a conversation between like a church leader and, and, and a young person, is that... Does that fall under it? How would you even legislate that? What would the penalties be for somebody caught doing this? How do you enforce it? Mm. Uh, so I think there are a lot of things that are worth debating. We don't know what the bill is going to say. I don't know what the legislation says in other provinces that have done this already. But it might be worth the UCP deciding to sit down and actually talk about the specific ah, specifics of this. But, um, you know, I think the, the NDP is well aware that some members of that caucus hold views that are um, anti-gay, uh, anti-same-sex marriage, anti-abortion, uh, and this is just not something they're going to want to deal with. And, and, and that's what they're hoping, that they're probably going to walk out again, or some of these people, best case scenario for the NDP, will start talking in the legislature and uh, expose uh, some of those views for the public. Well, I mean, there are some... UCP members like UCP MLAs who are very fundamentalist Christians and who do hold pro conversion therapy views. So, I mean, what's Jason Kenney going to do about them? Say, oi, don't talk about it. Or, yeah, you know what? Stand up and say your piece. And then what happens there? Because that was part of the theory of, yeah, not getting anyone to talk about the abortion bubble zone bill. Yeah, and this also comes, don't forget, while well, some nomination races are going on yeah. within the UCP as well. So I, I don't know how willing some people are going to be able to, to want to speak on this. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll see, in, uh, we'll see in October or maybe November. 
Who can say? We'll see sometime in the autumn. Do you guys use the word autumn here? Sometimes. I love that word. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. That's just... That's just me. I was home for like two weeks back in Australia and I've come back talking like using a lot more Australian slang than I usually do that I've already noticed that I'm doing. Anyway, again, irrelevant to Alberta. I'm so sorry. I just keep bringing up Australia. Um, let's, let's move along now to another health-related topic. Clancy, I know you've been following this for a while. The Grand Prairie Hospital. Yes. Oh, jeez. Would, would you call it a debacle? Yes, I think that's fair at this point. <laughs> what about a boondoggle? Yeah, both words. Great word. Love that one. Um, so yeah. What, yeah, what happened here? Because I remember when this developed this week, you're like, oh. Yeah, definitely. It's been, I've covered this one for a couple of months. I know Keith has as well. Um, so I, you've covered even even longer. Since uh, <laughs> ever ever yeah. since I started in yeah. covering health like five, six years ago. Yeah. Yeah, so um, where to start with this? So basically, uh, there's a huge hospital project, obviously, in Grand Prairie. It's worth uh, $763 million right now. And um, it uh, the province has had signed a contract with a building company based in Calgary called Graham Construction and Engineering. And about a month ago, Infrastructure Minister Sandra Jansen issued a notice of default to the construction firm saying that... Um, there were delays with the project, also saying that uh, they had asked for extra money without giving a good reason for that, um, and said they had uh, until August 22nd to come back with a plan that would uh, kind of put the hospital back on track. Then this week, um, Infrastructure Minister Sandra Jansen held a news conference kind of over the telephone and said, uh, we've actually fired the builder, uh, Graham Construction. They're no longer going to be on the project. Construction is suspended until we can find a new builder to take over the project, uh, hopefully by late October. This is why boondoggle is a great word. Exactly, (laughs) because then the next day um, or later that night after uh, the the news conference had happened, uh, Graham Construction sent out a news release. Um, I actually haven't been able to to kind of chat to them on the phone. I think they're kind of um, giving their perspective through media releases. But they said um, that uh, they actually quit and issued a notice of termination of the contract to the government on um, like August you're fired. No, no, you're fired. <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it's and what's interesting is that it's just completely two different stories about what happened. I did talk to the province and I confirmed with them that they did receive uh, correspondence, is what they said, from Graham Construction ahead of that news conference that uh, Sandra Jansen had. But the province said they didn't consider it a notice of termination. So until you actually see what was sent, it's really hard to know. Um, but I think the point here, yeah, it is a gong show. And I think the point here is that, you know, there's massive delays to this hospital that was first proposed in 2011. Yeah. Um, you know, the people of Grand Prairie are no closer really to seeing this done. What's interesting is it's like the whole outer shell is done and about 75% of the interior is completed. So it like, you know, it could potentially open. It was supposed supposed to open next year but it could potentially be delayed like who knows how long this will go and now it looks like Graham Construction will probably be taking legal action against the province. So. And if you were in Graham Prairie you'd be kind of pissed wouldn't you? I, I would think so yeah and I mean this 
having a, a new builder in place by next month, that, that seems pretty optimistic. Hospitals are, are not exactly the easiest thing to build. They all have to be built to a very strict code. So to find somebody, a construction company, willing to come into Grand Prairie and finish uh, finish work within a month uh, or start work uh, within a month. Uh, Especially after all of this with y- the province. Exactly. Like, and get up to spec. And after all this controversy, it, it, wow. I mean, maybe they can pull it off, but that seems really optimistic to me. And yeah, and Graham Construction with that, they are claiming that the province kind of um, had their demands were too high and uh, that they changed a bunch of orders and they changed kind of budget and scope um, and it, that it just wasn't feasible for them to do the project. So if that's true, then the question is kind of what would an, what would the next construction company be able to do that yeah. that's different? I mean, it's the Graham construct, construction statement is pretty damning of the province. The province's previous statements is pretty damning of the construction company and of the approval process yeah. for this hospital. We may not get any answers as to what went wrong here for years. This could be the subject of a great Auditor General's report I a couple years down the line. And we, and we hope so, because I think that Albertans deserve answers on where this project went so wrong. How do we get in a position where a contractor is saying that the project was underfunded um, or that the scope was changed too many times? How do we get in a position where a contractor with a seemingly long reputation in Alberta, Graham Construction isn't a new company by any stretch. I'm sure they've done other infrastructure projects for the province. What went wrong here? Did anything go wrong here? Is it just Has it turned into just a, a back-and-forth fight over the delays? And I think, yeah, what's frustrating kind of uh, from a journalism perspective, too, is when you it is it has turned into, like, the classic he said, she said yeah. story where, you know, without seeing the contract details, which obviously aren't going to be released... I, like, I don't know the answer to what exactly happened there. I smell a Freedom of Information request coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there is also a, a lawsuit coming potentially from Graham as well. So we may get some details in there, or so, certainly yeah. their side of it. Um, but you asked where it went wrong. I mean, from a historical perspective, in my uh, years covering health, I, I mean, I, I think there's a case to be made that this is a hospital that maybe never should have been built in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, the current Grand Prairie Hospital, the Queen Elizabeth II, is... It's built in 1981, so it's old, but not that old. It's busy um, with an occupancy rate of in the high 80s, but not that busy compared to some others. Um, there's a, a case to be made that this was n- perhaps not the biggest need in Alberta for, for new health infrastructure, uh, but the Stelmac government initially and then the Redford government decided that this was something that they absolutely had to do. That the community needed or that their political <laughs> that the, uh, fortunes exactly. needed? Exactly, and that's the, that's the good <laughs> question because on paper the need doesn't, doesn't seem like it was there at the time. I, I know that the argument was made that Grand Prairie was growing, still is growing, uh, a lot more babies born there and, and that that growth was going to continue. I think it's cooled somewhat, but even still it seems like there may have been better ways to approach the health needs in Grand Prairie than, you know, uh, creating this this massive new regional hospital that now has spiraled out of control to the tune of what what are we up to seven hundred and sixty three million dollars yeah. now right and who knows where it's going to finish it could be over eight hundred or close to nine hundred by the time we're done potentially and then uh, factor in the court costs as well that's right so um, go back in time uh, the government knowing how this turned out, maybe would have decided on a, a slightly different path to uh, maybe they could have renovated the old hospital. Maybe they could have gotten away with a much smaller scale facility. We're at a time now where the government is trying to reduce hospital costs. They're trying to get more people cared for in the community and at home. 
So again, a massive new uh, palace, health palace in Grand Prairie. And we've seen this with some rural hospitals recently in High Prairie as well, $228 million in a in a hospital there, $200 million for a hospital in Edson. Uh, this is perhaps not the direction we should be going for hospitals in the, in, the, in the province. And that's, you know, those are very good points. And it wouldn't be like the PC former PC government to engage in pork barrel politics, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, sarcasm. Yeah, but those are very good points. And I think that the the previous government has a lot to wear for uh, the choices that were made. It still doesn't get to the heart of what happened once it was built. It's not right. like building hospitals is a new thing. You should hopefully have a process in place, even if a decision isn't the best decision, to get something built on time and on budget and what happened there, right? So I guess we'll see, hopefully. Yeah, I think there's a lot of blame to go around. The former government, even this current government, does not seem to have handled it well. They, Some of the cost increases have come under their watch, too, because yeah. Graham is right. The, the, the government did make a lot of change orders. They had a, a decision at one point to take out some mental health beds to keep the costs at a certain level. Then the government decided to add them back in as well as another unit as well. So um, the costs have increased to some degree under the NDP's watch as well. So it can't be all blamed on the former government, even though I, I think the NDP is trying to do that for the most part. What's interesting too is the, I mean, the UCP haven't really given much of state, like given no, any statements haven't. about this. I've asked for comment from them and it's kind of generic one-liners. Um, and it's because it is kind of shared responsibility from former PCs as well, right? Yeah. Well, including Wayne, Wayne Drysdale, the, the current MLA right. from that area, who was infrastructure minister for a part of the time while while this was being uh, constructed. He's retiring. He is retiring. Well, I talked to Stephen Mandel, who is, of course, Alberta's former health minister, who is now the Alberta Party leader. He had a lot to say about it, but he was... And I was like, wait, weren't you, like, involved in this whole thing? And he went, oh, no. No, not really. Like, it went to infrastructure, then it was out of my hands, so no. And he was health minister for six months at that point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. He called it a debacle, though, didn't he? He called it a debacle. Yes, he did. So, I mean, thanks, Stephen Mandel. Um, let's move over now very briefly to something that has been in the works for quite some time now. And I tried to drag our advanced education reporter, Yuri Graney, on this show, the other but Australian. He re- he's refused. He refused. Yeah. It's also his day off. So That's fair. I would, <laughs> I'd prefer to sleep in if it was my day off too. <laughs> anyway, finally, after a couple of years, uh, there is apparently going to be legislation coming this fall um, that provides some guidelines for post-secondary tuition and fees for students. Um, This comes after a two-year review of basically how student fees work and how tuition works. Um, It was a big review and then last fall in September 2017, um, Premier Rachel Notley said at a press conference that she's hoping to get this information together ahead of budget 2018. That didn't happen. So the NDP has just basically put in a whole bunch of tuition freezes, which has made students happy, but it has not made universities quite so happy. Was it um, the former bloke from McEwen University said it was like being stoned to death with popcorn? Oh, is that Atkinson? Yeah. 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 It's a poetic turn of phrase, isn't it, really? <laughs> I kind of like that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, finally, apparently, the the review has been completed. Uh, they also had an external consultant come in. They had uh, a 20-person task force to figure out how to 
make it so that um, fee increases and tuition increases are, are more transparent in the way that they're done. And the University of Alberta Students Union told me they're also hoping, really, really hoping that international student fees are going to form part of this because they see it so that these guys are often used as a cash cow to kind of prop up universities. And when there's a tuition freeze, hey, just pass it along to international students because they don't really get a say in what they're doing and they have to pay up front and, hey, oh, we can charge them what we want kind of thing. I'm paraphrasing. Um, Dave. Yes. This has been a while. Do you think it's surprising it's coming just before the election? I, I'd i like to look at it less cynically and just assume oh, that oh come on not positively <laughs> but less cynically and just assume that you know like other reviews the government is doing they just aren't managing to get them done in the time frame in which they say they're going to get them done we're still waiting on the photo radar review that was supposed to be coming oh from God, Brian yeah, Mason oh a new ago. continuing care strategy as and well, it, yeah we've been all waiting all about of, a year for that one. all of these reports that the government has said they're going to get done and they're not getting done so I'm not surprised that it's late I, I don't know. I. It's one of those issues where could they try and make it an election issue? Tuition, and we want to keep tuition down, and the uh, UCP want to raise tuition. Like tuition hasn't really been an an issue for the UCP. They're, I mean, they're more concerned about government expenditure on the whole, and the NDP is more interested in making them look like. Uh, Trumpian Republicans on issues like healthcare and, you know, and intolerant. I don't see tuition being one of those things. It might win them some votes, but are you talking about a voter base that you already have in your pocket? And also university students don't vote generally. Like, or I mean, that age group is the lowest age, yeah. lowest voting. So I don't know if it wins them. I think it just more shows that yet again, the NDP isn't able to get the work done that they tell us that they're going to get done. On the election thing, though, I think it does push part of their narrative here because they're, what they're pushing is that the UCP will make cuts. And at yesterday's event at the University of Alberta, so it was basically a, a re-announcement of an announcement, you know, how they love to do those. Any government anywhere in the whole world loves to do those about how they're putting money towards um, uh, tech spaces at universities. Um and Rachel Notley made a point of saying twice in her speech, you know, uh, the UCP, when the oil price dropped, we had a choice. We could have, you know, made cuts and God knows it's happened before, or we could have, you know, kept going the way we were going and kept um, money steady for universities. And that was kind of the line they're taking. So I think that's what they're going to be using. That Like that, that would be what you would use it for, I suppose, that UCP would make cuts because that's what they do because they're fiscal conservatives. That's not what we do as the NDP. That's the only link I can, I can yeah, figure I, out. I just think it's a, it's a bigger issue on the health and the K-12 education file yeah, you're right. than yeah, totally. on the university tuition file. I think people accept that, you know, you pay money to go to university or colleges in Alberta and, you know, while you don't want to make it unaccessible for a large number of people that costs go up, tend to go up as opposed to going down. And so there may need to be tuition increases according to inflation or whatever. But as you say, they want to make the, the process transparent, which is all that you can really ask for, right? Yeah. Yeah. The student union want it so that you have like a three-year kind of timeline thing so that they can be okay. You can plan your life a little, yeah. a little and bit those, more. And those are all reasonable Seems things, reasonable. right? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I don't like to look at things cynically either, but if I were <laughs> to look at things cynically in this case, it would not surprise me that the NDP has done a calculation and said, okay, um, 
young people, university age people, people in their 20s, they don't come out a lot to vote. But if we have any chance of surviving this election, we are going to need them to come out in huge numbers. Um, and they do believe that that is part of their base. And it, it would not surprise me if this is something that they absolutely run on and they try to draw a very uh, stark distinction between themselves and having low or at least reasonable tuition versus the UCP, who may not have a position on tuition at all, as you said. They may, they may just say it's something that they'll look at. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, we'll see what, what they come up with for their platform uh, in the months ahead. But uh, it, this would not surprise me as, as something that the, the NDP feels that is a winning issue for them with that particular demographic. Yeah, I asked you, the student union, if they were worried about being used as a, in a sense in the election. And he kind of went, you know what? Like, as long as there's actually something coming, whatevs. Like, this is an important topic, and I'd like it if they talked about it during the election. So, all right, let's move over to our regular segment, Good Stuff from the Gallery, in which we recommend stuff we have listened or what we have listened to or read or seen lately that we think you, dear listeners, might also enjoy. Clancy, do you want to kick us off, mate? Yeah, I'm gonna recommend a podcast. You'll wow. start a trend. Yeah, um, and it sounds like other people are fans of this one too. But it's called The Teacher's Pet, and it's from the Australian in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's a newspaper. Yeah, for the record, it's um, honestly really excellent. I think I'm about um, like eight episodes in, and it's really fascinating. It's about a cold case of. A woman named Lynn Dawson who went missing in the early 1980s. Um, everybody believes that her husband, who um, was a well-known rugby player um, or Australian football player, sorry, he was a rugby player. Rugby, okay. yeah. Everyone knows. They that. call him a footballer, but yeah. rugby, rugby league. I just rugby union. he played for the Newtown Jets. I don't know. I don't know. I just realized I don't understand no, no. Australian <laughs> sports. I believe it's rugby league. Yeah, he played rugby Sorry, league. Anyone, <laughs> anyway, everyone believes that he um, that he killed her, and so it's a cold case kind of murder investigation, and it's really fascinating. It also brings up ish- like topics like domestic abuse and. Um, yeah, just I think a really well done journalism, and I'd highly recommend it. I've just subscribed to it. Nice, <laughs> you'll love it. I think, Keith. Uh, I am also going to recommend a podcast. This is the, uh, in fact, the first podcast I've recommended. Of course, uh, other than the press gallery, of course. Uh, so, the, but if you're, <laughs> yeah. if you're hearing these recommendations, yeah. chances are you're probably already into the press. Pro- probably, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who knows? First you time, first time it. listener. You never know. Um, so this one is called Doctor Death. Got a pretty ominous title. It's about. Uh, a Texas neurosurgeon, Dr. Christopher Dunch. I hope I got that right. Uh, I'm only a few episodes in, but it is it is chilling uh, that this guy was uh, allowed to uh, do all these horribly botched surgeries. Uh, it's pretty graphic, this, this podcast. Uh, and it describes uh, how he was able to get away with this, uh, to perform these 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 awful surgeries on people uh, that have caused uh, death, have caused serious uh, impairment. Uh, and and the medical system that uh, was unable to stop him until it was too late is fascinating. Now, I'm not going to lie. I don't actually listen to a lot of podcasts because I don't walk everywhere a lot. I tend to ride a bike and I don't like doing that when I'm listening to things. So I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. On this podcast before, as in the press gallery, as in the one you're listening to now, hi. Um, a few times Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History has been recommended. I've only listened to a couple of episodes. I'm sorry, Paula and Stuart, who recommended it. 
But I binge listened to the entire lot when I was on my trip and it's amazing. So if you haven't listened to it, you should. And also Clancy, I just had a quick look when I was subscribing to that podcast, Teacher's Pet. Um, There are so many Australian crime podcasts. I know. And it's a new (laughs) genre that I'm like super excited about. And I started subscribing to them. I know. And I had no idea. I didn't. I mean, we are a former penal colony. And it makes sense, right? I believe them more because of their accents. Like, no, we do sound like criminals, I suppose. I don't eh? know. I feel yeah, like and I, then you went and chucked her into a thing of acid, eh? I haven't heard that accent yet. Oh, the, okay. Know, Dave, sorry. <laughs> I'm going to recommend uh, a podcast as well. Yes, I will also podcast. second the recommendations for Dr. Death and The Teacher's Pet. I'm listening to them uh, right now as well, and they're both fascinating. Um, I'm going to recommend uh, Slate's Slow Burn podcast. I believe Paula Simons so recommended good. season one. Uh, which was about the Watergate investigation. Season two is all about the investigation into the uh, goings-on involving Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. Um, you get a bit of background into the the Whitewater investigation, uh, some of the shady dealings involving the Clinton White House. But where I'm at in the show right now, it's uh, all the juicy stuff about Linda Tripp recording Monica Lewinsky's conversations with her about the relationship with Bill Clinton and it's really fascinating. I also like I love that podcast too and I think what's so interesting about it is also looking at how Monica Lewinsky would be perceived today if that were to happen now compared to how she was completely lambasted by by yeah. everybody. Yeah. Guys, thank you so much for joining me and putting up with my jet lag shenanigans today. <laughs> Clancy, Keith Wright, sorry, Claire Clancy, <laughs> Keith Wright, and Dave Breckridge. Not over yet. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't get into the habit of calling you Claire Clancy. Call me Clancy. It's, it's fine. fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, join us again this time next week because we will be having another podcast because now we're back into the regular swing of things, probably. At least I'll be here. I'll just talk nonsense by myself if no one turns up here on the press gallery.